chapter a pair with chapter 34 uh, chapter 35 particularly because it does get into a lot of uh, sort of uh, glory of the Lord uh, kind of things and uh, you know a highway shall be there and all these wonderful things happening it, again to me it seems basically about the time of the end although must say that this also in chapter 35 is poetry and sometimes you know when you're reading poetry uh, it can go in various ways <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of the meaning uh, so maybe we could do some of that too uh, so let me just read a little bit here uh, Isaiah now breaks out into poetry the desert is turned into a garden. So remember in the last chapter we had a fertile land that was turned into a desert. Now we have a desert that's being turned into a garden. So God can do all these things. I mean, according to His will. Uh, what garden are we talking about? Well, it's not exactly clear. Uh, is this the return of the exiles to Jerusalem? Possibly. I mean, is He maybe predicting exile and then return? Could be. Is this the kingdom of the end or the millennial kingdom? Could be. Uh, I would say in terms of poetry or in terms of a devotional reading, is this your personal joy in knowing Jesus? I mean, is this where you are? Maybe you're in the desert. Maybe you're in the garden. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Only you know. This chapter anticipates much of the prophecy in chapters 40 through 66 in Isaiah where we get into just so many wonderful passages about Messiah and so forth. Um, next week, we get into chapter 36 and we're back into really history. My, the heading of my chapter 36 says Sennacherib invades Judah. Chapter 37, Hezekiah. Sennacherib, chapter 38, Hezekiah, chapter 39, envoys from Babylon. So this is all history stuff and facing enemies there in Jerusalem and so forth. So we're getting back into that history next week. Which is why some uh, scholars have said that it seems like this was, well, those that believe that Isaiah has two or three authors that this was written late because it seems to belong more into chapters 40 through 66. Uh, I don't necessarily see why that would have to be so or the point there. But anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's poetry. We're in the garden here in 35. So it's an anticipation of some other stuff in 40 through 66. So chapters 1 through 39 deal with the theme of who do you trust? Or where should we, or in whom should we place our trust? And these issues now, uh, we'll, we'll say, have been dealt with by Isaiah. So, are you living in a garden with Jesus? 
I don't know. Uh, if so, I am happy for you and the benefits that Christ is giving you now. Remember that the desert is not only the place of resting and receiving the Word of God, it is also a place of rest and rejoicing, or it could be. And maybe even if, even in a desert, as it were, God could turn it into a garden. So all these things are possible. Verse 1, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Uh, a particularly poor poetic choice here of my translators. Uh, the Hebrew word here is baselet, which is the same word as the Rose of Sharon in the Song of Songs, chapter 2. Much more poetic, the desert shall blossom like the rose. I mean, of course, I mean, let's read it that way. Uh, exactly what this flower is is somewhat unclear. Well, King James is right. The word studied dictionary says a feminine noun denoting a rose. Well, there you go. There you go. So that's the way we should do it. Well, I, there we should I do it. That's a, I think the... I like, I like New American Standard. I mean, not New American. New English version, okay. But, I mean, they're weak, they're weak sometimes. They, well, like all translations. I mean, I know are perfect, you know. Uh, anyway, I think the point is that it's, it's a little unclear about what this flower actually is. Uh, some think it's probably a flower... Uh, or wildflower that blooms very soon after they have rain in the desert. So once it rains, these flowers begin to come up pretty quick. Uh, for poetry's sake, I like rose. So the desert shall blossom like the rose. <coughs> the crocus is supposed to be one of the first flowers to bloom. Is it? Well, there. Before spring. Well, there. Well, there it is. This actually went on. It says it refers most likely to a plant or flower of the genus Asphodel. Uh, and, of, and of the lily family. The lily. Lily-like flowers. Well, there you go. All right. Lily of the valley. Lily of the valley, yeah. So, uh, the, oh, it our, says stands parallel with the lily in Song of Solomon 2 and 1. That, yeah. You want to read that? Well, that's the rose of Sharon. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the rose of Sharon. And the lily of the valley, yeah. It's a beautiful flower. Uh, so, Lebanon, Carmel, and the plain of Sharon uh, up in this area are really fertile and fruitful areas. So this is what God can do. I mean, he can turn a desert into something like the plain of Sharon, which is a fruitful plain. So he can do this. Israel has flip-flopped the area that they've controlled all these years. I've seen uh, you know, documentaries on that mm -hmm. compared to the way it was before 1948. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They did a lot of work, and they became water independent in the last 20 years. Wow, yeah. amazing. Uh, with the various things they've yeah. done. Yeah. Amazing. There's a lot of citrus. Yeah. So, uh, spiritualizing or reading it devotionally, I mean, you know, God can turn our wilderness into a, into a, into a garden. I mean, you know, it just depends. Of course, going through hard times, I mean, we... we we, we wouldn't, at least I don't just try to cheer people up and say, oh, well, you know, I mean, be, be happy. I mean, Jesus, I mean, if a person's not happy, they're not happy, you know, but uh, it's hard to cheer a person up. But God can do things for us. Uh, so, uh, all right, verse 2. 
It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing, and the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Okay. Three and four. This now applies to me and maybe you too. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. <laughs> Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense, and He will come and save you. So God comes to us here in this passage of poetry. God reveals Himself to us, and He, you know, He can do this in good times and in bad times too hard to say which would be more appropriate for God to reveal himself to us. So God can reveal himself to us in many ways. I have one, two, three, four, five. I have six ways down here that I thought of that God might reveal himself to us. So give me some thoughts here. How is, how is God revealing himself to us? Through scripture, Through scripture is a good way. How else? Nature. Through nature is a good way. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Through other people, uh, God can definitely uh, show us some Christ-like yeah, yeah. behavior. This is true. What Sometimes else? Through dreams. Possibly through dreams. Sometimes it just speculation. It's like when I was at my business desk, not even considering, and I heard the word poema. Yeah. It comes from the Bible verse. Yeah. We, we are His workmanship. workmanship. Yeah. There you go. Well, just, uh, just there you go. Boom, head. there it yeah. is. Yeah, very very good. What else? Gifts of the Spirit. He could, uh, <laughs> in terms of your own gifts of the Spirit, or <clears throat> other people ministering to you. Sure. Say, wow, that person's like Christ. I'm not even close. Amazing. You know? Yeah, what else? <clears throat> In terms, in what, in what way? Reveals something to you inside your head. Okay, you just it's wow. Just reading the scripture, it's just right. Right, you you see the truth, the truth of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Preaching is preaching is a good way. Absolutely, faith comes by hearing. And you don't necessarily have to have. The hear or know the word of God for preaching to affect them. That is exactly so, right. You know, uh, so there's something about preaching that God uses. You know, uh, Absolutely I don't right. Know how to explain it. I, I mean, correct. Very good. Testimony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, that's pretty much what I had. But so we're we're hitting on all these ways. I don't think we're trying to be anti-scriptural here. I mean, you know. The vision we have should line up with Scripture, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, but there are other ways that God might speak to us. So we know this. Calls you by name. That's what right. Jesus said. Yeah. Shepherd calls you by name. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on. Uh, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. This is a line from Handel's Messiah. He uses this in one of those parts. Uh, so, blind and deaf are also used to describe spiritual condition. So when God comes, we are healed of wrong understanding and we see more clearly. 
Also, we might think of lost people here. They're blind and they're deaf, but somehow God opens our eyes to see here. As Chris says, he opens their ears to hear under preaching. Boom, there they are, you know. They hear. <clears throat> Verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. So this motif is used other places in scripture. So if someone would look up Revelation 22, 1 through 5, we'll see that. And I think I'm going to read Ezekiel chapter 47, which you're probably familiar with, uh, about this uh, desert, you know, and the water coming down into the desert and so forth. This is Ezekiel 47 that I'm going to start with. What is the revelation? Uh, revelation is 22, 1 through 5. And Ezekiel is uh, Ezekiel 47, beginning with verse 1. And this is Ezekiel's vision of the temple. Now, this temple that Ezekiel visualizes, a lot of these chapters go through all these incredibly detailed measurements <laughs> of the temple. I mean, you know, it would take a lot of work to work all this out. I don't think that the second temple that was reconstructed after the Jews came back from exile, I don't think it conformed to these measurements that Ezekiel is giving here. I mean, particularly there's a territory for the, for the Messiah. I mean, there's so many, you know, square acres and all out here for the prince to live. I don't think Essentially, it's a square mile. Yeah. I, I was watching a video. Okay. There's a, uh, uh, I can't remember. The guy's quite good uh, with his facts. And uh, a long video, but it was about... That. And he's not saying it's a third temple. He's right. just saying that some say that it may be here. This one, yeah. but it struck me that uh, the uh, Temple Mount of it is like a square yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's, it's a... so I, and in my understanding, I don't think that temple conformed exactly to all these measurements in Ezekiel. But I'm not a carpenter or enough to work all that out. But I don't think so. I mean, anyway, it's a very elaborate and so forth the way all those measurements are. He's talking about a temple that's not made by I think that's what he is talking about. I think he's, I, that's what I think he is talking about. Yeah, because it speaks of sacrifice. And uh, yes, uh, so that's that's what I think, yeah. I think it's, a, it's a, a symbol for, you know, eternal life and life with Christ and so forth. But, Isaiah chapter 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Now this this is this angel that's leading Ezekiel around. Okay. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. That's a first person view. Remember I had mentioned it a couple months back. Yeah. This, I mean, east. And, you know, and uh, south and to the right. It yeah, gives yeah. The three, yeah. yeah, he's seeing this, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, south of the altar. Then he brought me out of the way, out by the way of the north gate, and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, water was trickling out on the south side. Now, this is a little strange to me. I mean, we can't be too literal in this. But this is a little strange to me. The water's trickling out on the south side of the altar. But yet the stream, I think, as we'll read, is flowing out on the north. 
So it, somehow it goes around and begins to flow out. So we'll see. I thought it gave us the three points, east, south, and, and north, right. And north, yeah. Right would be south. Yeah, right. Water also. If you're looking east, yeah. to the right is south. Yeah. Um, it's a first-person view, so I, I've often wondered why. Well, let's let's go on. <laughs> let's go on. Yeah. I'm sorry. Verse three. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the me man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Now here's where the preachers come in. They preach on this right here. Okay, and then he led me through the water. It was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand. He led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand. He led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? So the usual preaching on this is this is the life in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit issues out from the throne of God. And Ezekiel begins to experience this. First he's getting his toes wet. <laughs> and then it's knee deep. And then it's waist deep. And finally he can't even swim in it. I mean, so this is life in the Holy Spirit here. Now, I, I think that's right. Is he moving? Is, is the person moving through into the, into the river to... I guess he's walking along. He's walking. He so it's like when you're in the ocean. You know, yeah, it's knee deep. It's deeper. Deep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's walking and talking, man. You know, with his with his mind stayed on Jesus. Well, that's what he says. It was deep enough to swim in. I don't know if he could swim or not. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. Does that remind you of any other passage? And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down to the Arabah. That's the desert. So now it's flowing on out to the desert, right? And enters into the sea. That would be the Dead Sea. When the water flows into the sea, that is the Dead Sea, the water becomes fresh. Whoa. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. Wow. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Engedi to Eneglaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are left to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food, their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now let's immediately read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. If somebody has it. Go ahead. And he showed me a pure river of water and light, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. Yeah, you see. You see. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree was there the tree of life which bare twelve mountain fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So he yes. Go ahead, is that it? And no, and Go there ahead. shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in him, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle neither light of the sun of the Lord God all right so this is really our eternal life with Christ after the resurrection 
So Ezekiel is anticipating this here. But, I mean, it's not, to me, it's not that clear in Ezekiel exactly what's going on, but if Revelation can clear things up, I think it becomes clearer in Revelation what's happening. Well, being that first person view, I've wondered if it was like a first person view of Christ and the results of what he did well, for us. Because I've seen it taught, you know, that uh, when they looked into the tomb uh, and saw particularly the, the vision, you know, where there was an angel at the head and the foot of where Jesus mm-hmm. had lain, yeah. you know, that that's a picture of the, uh, the mercy, seat, mercy seat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah where for they, sure. They swapped the blood, sure. you know, sure. this sort of yeah. thing. Uh, like that. So. I, don't, I don't know about that. Well, no, that's good. I don't know if that's particularly this, but it just seems to me that this is heavenly life is, is what Ezekiel is seeing here. And Revelation, if, again, if Revelation can clear things up, I think Revelation clears it up about what's going on here. Craig? From what Ezekiel reports, the Dead Sea has experienced a regeneration. Yes. Therefore... Those that are dead in their sins can be regenerated. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, that, that, again, that's another implication. No, it's just too salty. And it has no source. No outsource. All we are is dirt with the breath of God in us. That's it. Well, there's nothing else on earth like it. No, not like the Dead Sea. Is it the lowest place on earth? I, I think so. I have read that there's a fortune in minerals in it. Well, if you mine them. Yeah. You know. I don't want to live over there, but I guess somebody could. <laughs> Go ahead, David. I said, I said, you know, that's a Genesis, God, God gathers up dirt, molds it into man, and then he breathes into him. And we become men. Yeah. yeah. So he becomes a living being. Yeah, we're talking about eternal life and spiritual life here in these passages, although sometimes it's not exactly clear. Water always takes the path of least resistance. Yeah. It goes to the lowest point. And the way it flows. We can't predict it because we don't know the path of resistance. If we can become a path like that, maybe we get more. There you, <laughs> there you go. It especially does that near my garage door. I mean, <laughs> change that with a hole in gravel. <laughs> okay, that's verses 6 and 7 then. We resist. It's a similar motif of uh, the, the sand becoming a, you know, pools of water and so forth. Alright, verse 8. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they will not go astray. Well, amen. Uh, so Jesus said... Well, go ahead and quote what Jesus says about the way then. Yeah, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Exactly. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, even more so in glory, we will understand this way. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's got to be an increasing understanding in glory. It's capitalized 
What's what's that? Our ways. Okay. We shall know. We shall know then, even as now we, we are known. known. Yeah. So in glory on this way, even us <laughs> fools will not go astray. So. We shall find then in glory that we have pure speech, not foolish speech. You know, the proverb says that the fool even either rages or he laughs uh, constantly. I was in the chiropractor's office the other day and the guy next to me, man, he had to make a joke out of every sentence. So he was just laughing his head off for about 20 minutes as this guy was adjusting him, you know. I thought, man, you are, you are tipping your hand. That's <laughs> what the Bible would call a fool. I didn't call him that. That's what the Bible would call a fool. It's interesting to kill the Bibles that we have here. There's a footnote for that. And it's so, sort of, actually, one thing says one thing, and the footnote says the opposite. Let's go with the Bible. What's in the Bible? It's what it's in. What's that? It says here that... Uh, Yeah, it could be either way. I had the same. It could be either way. So that's, yeah. that's basically saying the opposite. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, there you go. Have to kind of, I guess maybe there's a difference between simple and fool. If you're simply a fool, you're a fool. If yeah. you're simple, I mean, you might just you might. know you're ignorant. <laughs> that, there's a difference, yeah. Verse 9, No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. So, uh, this is an encouragement to us to walk in the way of Christ now. Uh, we know that Jesus is the way, so we are learning to walk with Jesus in that way now. Verse 10, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Again, this has to be in glory. So the ransomed, those we have been ransomed to God by the blood of Christ. He's paid the price for our disobedience and sin. So this leads us to Zion, to the heavenly city, as Christian might say in Pilgrim's Progress. That's the song that we sing. There for the redeemed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's taken, yeah. They sing it in South America too. Yeah, they do. Christ has set us apart to live a certain kind of life. Uh, so this is the way that he set for us. We read about it in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us about walking in this way. And I don't have anything else. We'll conclude here. We might talk some about it. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 19 through 21. I love this passage. Isaiah 30. Uh, Someone read that. 19 through 21. Lord give you the bread of adversity and the 
water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers removed, be removed in a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way I brought you in, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Yeah, it seems to me it's talking about the guidance of the Holy Spirit here. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. So we have not only the instruction of Scripture, but we also have the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us today, as it were, to walk in the right way. I'm just saying, the point here, I think that the way of the Holy Spirit, because in the epistle, I think it's maybe 2 Thessalonians, where it says, when he be taken out of the way, Pulls away. Oh, okay, yeah. So the Holy Spirit restraining hand. Oh, that could be a problem, yeah. And then it could get worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I have for today, but I'd be happy to hear a few other comments if anybody has anything. I think we can uh, take both chapters 34 and 35 yeah. and say they're about Gentiles. One in judgment, one in mercy. Okay. Um, the Gentiles will have a choice. They will, they will be, you know, first of all, God is God of all. Yeah. All, all Gentiles. He will have judgment over all Gentiles. Okay. He will also, you know, he will also be applying mercy, uh, you know, within the, the vast sea of Gentiles. So it doesn't seem to have anything specific about Israel that, or Judah. No, but why wouldn't Jews have the same kind of choice that Gentiles have? They do. <clears throat> so it's mankind generally. But but they've known that for a long time. <laughs> uh, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just I just go back to Isaiah forty nine. I think it is. Five and six. Yeah. Uh, or six. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. Yeah, well, that's that true. You may be my salvation to the ends of the earth. No, oh, there you go. So yeah. I think this may just be a preview of the ends of, of the earth. Thought. Could be. Yeah. Okay, very good. Connor. I'm still looking at verse 8 when it's talking about the fool walking <laughs> on the way. I've just been kind of mulling that over. Yeah. Um, the fool in Proverbs, fool does not necessarily equal sinful. Being a fool may lead to sin, but 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 there is a difference. And Proverbs has a very nuanced perspective on it. And throughout Scripture, you end up with this inverted kind of holy fool that has the qualities of being a fool, but it's actually being a fool for God or being a fool for Christ. Yeah, we don't have much experience with that, but the Orthodox Church does. Christ himself takes this on yeah. in his pursuit of his bride. You know, he follows the foreign woman and goes down into death for her. Yeah. So Christ himself takes on some of the characteristics of the fool in Proverbs. Right here we see that there are fools walking on the way of holiness. And I think the difference between the fool and the wise person is that the wise, the 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 fool just doesn't understand what he's doing. He just doesn't He doesn't know why things are happening the way they're happening. He doesn't, it's, it's the opposite of understanding. So you can have Christians who are walking on the way, but not, they don't, they don't understand 
the deep doctrines of the oh, faith. No, yeah. They don't sure. understand. For they sure. can't. They can't win an argument. No. But they're still walking on the way. For sure. And yeah, for true. Isaiah, and I think for God, that's more important. He doesn't care so much about whether you can win every argument. He cares whether or not you're walking on the way. And it is in the walking on the way that that's when you learn to articulate the things of And I'm not sure that not being a fool has to do totally with winning arguments either. Sometimes the wise person simply shuts up and is there a knows when to speak and when yeah. not to. Is there a different Hebrew word for fool and the simple in Proverbs? I don't know. Jesus, I don't you know, know the, word, the word rock out when, when uh, instructing people not to call others fools. Yeah. Uh, and that may be Aramaic. Um, but uh, but I don't know. I mean, if that has any yeah, relationship to the Hebrew word here. Years ago, I did a, a Sunday school class here on fools for Christ. Yeah. yeah. I remember that or not. So it's very significant and important to me. Uh, there's a whole history of fools for Christ that go back way into the Old Testament, up into modern times. The Orthodox Church has that still. What? The Orthodox Church has these fools folks still. that are. It's the foolishness. That's why God takes the wisdom of the wise and turns it into foolishness. You know, so yeah. I mean, you know, so and, uh, you know, I mean, and, and what the wise think is foolish, God says that's the truth. I think in some of these fools for Christ in the Orthodox Church, they are doing apparently stupid things. I mean, out in public. But if you'll watch what they're doing, there's a message by what they're Ezekiel. doing. Ezekiel is to be a fool for Christ. Ezekiel? Yeah. Because, yeah, that's true. Because he, he, he goes naked. Yeah. He builds He builds, he builds a model, a model of He lays out his song. He lays out his song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a movie called The Island uh, yeah. about a guy who goes through a trauma in World War II and moves into a monastery and he's basically a holy fool yeah. among and the monks there. It's a Russian movie. You've got to read subtitles, but it's, it's, it's very insightful. I agree with Craig. If you can find The Island, it's worth watching. There's, I found a really good book. There is a book that someone's written. I can't remember. I've got it somewhere in my library. Uh, uh, definition of a fool for God. A holy fool. And really, God's calling all of us in some ways to seems foolish. You know, the whole thing of, of you know, Christ coming and dying, I mean, that seems completely almost fantasy-like. You know, so. Well, let's try to be holy fools and not just fools. Yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> you know, maybe that's what he's talking about. Let's be foods for Christ. I think what he's talking about is walking on the path. Yeah. You don't have to understand the deep doctrines. To oh, do that, that is true. That's absolutely true. Just that be a simple true. follower of Christ and walk on the way. That's, that that's what he's saying. That, yeah, that is absolutely yeah. a word for us than fool. Yeah. Children are foolish yeah. in the right kind of way. Yeah. 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 Very good. Faith is more about action than about what you're thinking. Yeah, a little kid will get up in the middle of church and start dancing, maybe, with music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what adult does that? <laughs> there was a day when Kristen Beard skipped up to Eucharist. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. So we will. We will go.